Every three years, the Council for Educational Research surveys secondary school principals to get a clearer picture of what their top issues are. The results this time around have shown providing adequate support for students struggling with their mental health and well-being is the number one problem for 80% of principals. The Association of Counselors have responded saying that school counselling services are overstretched and in need of more funding to keep up with demand. With us is the Association of Counselors President Sarah Maindonald. Sarah, welcome to today's panel. Kia ora, Wallace. 80 per- uh, very well, thank you. 80% said mental health support lacking. That's a huge statistic. Were you surprised at all? No, sadly not. I mean, I think that COVID has exacerbated mental health issues across the country, and children are often symptomatic of the stresses on families. But even back in 2012, the University of Auckland does regular youth wellbeing surveys, and they were saying then that 21% of young people are showing signs of psychological distress. So I think this has really discontinued and exacerbated post-COVID. And it's, I mean, it's, it's sad, but it's also good that principals are really recognising the issues. I guess why it's also important, perhaps, Sarah, is, uh, as I understand, anyway, away from your parents and perhaps uh, even more than your parents, a, a school counsellor can be someone independent you go to and share your concerns, share your fears, share your your top of mind worries as a young person. Definitely. And developmentally, of course, teenagers are at that delicate stage of wanting to become more independent. So it's not a reflection on their parents. You know, it's often developmentally just something that they want to sort out some of their own issues. And certainly the Aero report that was done a few years ago, um, I think over a 1,000 students in the country, and they identified school counsellors as the number one go-to for mental health, sexuality, drug and alcohol and family violence issues. So it's very, it is an essential service. Mm. Anna? Yeah, and what a what a incredibly tough job that must be. Um, you know, there's all all sorts of issues that that young ones are having to face these days. I was wondering. Um, I mean, I know quite a few teenagers who are terribly stressed out in ways never before. You know, about this the war and between Israel and Palestine, and and then you add climate change into the mix. Plus, you've got insidious social media and smartphones. I mean, this is this is really tough times to be to be young at this time on the planet, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, and I think their exposure to all of those crises creates more anxiety, and sometimes then they're ruminating on that, and then it can really start to be problematic and, and a pattern. I mean, it's hard enough being an adult, isn't it? But I think as teenagers, we, they just don't have the same set of skills to manage some of those worries. Mm. Right. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I sort of, I, I mean, I do worry about the the struggles some of the young people seem to be going through and, and you know, their ability to, to deal with things. It's dreadful. Um, just a question. Did 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 you receive, Sarah, what, that billion dollars that the previous government ejected into mental health, does, does some of that come down to for counselling services? The only specific funding that I'm aware of actually came when um, the prior Minister of Education, Tracy Martin, was leaving and she tagged 74 million, I think it was, to school counselling. And some of that has gone into the um, Afi Mai Afiatu programme in primary and intermediate schools. 
and that started to be quite a good-looking preventative program with, with offering, you know, counselling to primary and intermediate schools. But that's, and I mean, it is. I think all programs that are that are well supported have a place. But mm. what was originally specifically counselling is now really diversified. And some of that's good because it will fit the community, but it still means that, you know, children can't just rock up to a counsellor and talk to someone when they need to in the school because they were provided by the community. Mm. So as an organisation, do you like have an umbrella across counselling services, for example, Youth Line, um, Gay Line, if it's still called Gay Line, maybe it's called Rainbow Line now or whatever. Uh, do you sort of have an umbrella view of over all of those things or just really focused on the secondary school sector? No, we were right, right across. We've oh, got 3,500 awesome. members who are working mm. in very many contexts, um, you know, in prisons and, and non-government organisations and schools, private practice, ACC, you know, huge range. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. you're looking to have a ratio uh, of uh, one councillor to every 400. And uh, what is it now? There's a councillor, what, for every 1,500 to 2,000 students? Is that right? Well, there's, there's, the problem is that it's completely inequitable across the country. Oh, so yeah, yes, right. definitely there's some schools that have one council to 2,000. And then you've got other schools that might have perhaps more funding or more um, wealthy contributors. So oh. Rangi Toto, for example, put 100,000 of their own operations grant into funding to have enough councillors for their 3,500 students. But other schools just haven't got the money to do that. You know, I had a, a call from a wee school in um, South Canterbury who are desperate to have a counsellor because they see the results, they mm. see the um, the increase in the young people's ability to learn and be retained in the system, but there's not the funding available for everybody. This has got to be um, key, don't you think, Anna, to think that, I mean, I can recall, you know, a visit to a school counsellor and just that uh, independent, informal, friendly mm. chat, it was just, it was just, it just meant the world. Absolutely. And it really can make a huge difference. Yeah, and let's bring Anna in as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely take my hat off to these people who are doing this this work. It must be so overwhelmingly stressful um, to be taking on those loads of all those young young people. So, I I hope um, the next government actually listens to your call. Um, this seems very critical. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, we are trained to manage, you know, the stress of, of those um, the issues we're dealing with, but the problem is the, the, the number, the volume of young people um, that are needing support, and it's, it's just not sustainable. There's lots of people that are actually leaving, you know, and like particularly some of those who are also trained teachers, you know, they're in an ageing workforce, so a lot of people are at risk of... Um, leaving, and that makes even more of a stress on the staffing issues. Thanks for highlighting the issue, Sarah. We'll keep in touch with this issue across the panel. Kia ora. Great. Kia ora. That's the Bye. Association of Councillors President Sarah Maynard. Gosh, um, there's a there's a big to do list with the with with your government coming in, Mark. My government, Wallace. No, there is. There really is. And I think uh, maybe people don't fully realise the enormity of what they're up against, mm. and. Uh, they have to do a lot, and they have to deliver pretty quickly. There's going to be a pretty rapid delivery of some quick wins in the first 100 days. That's what we'll be looking for. And some of these things, like this this sort of stuff around the mental health space, is absolutely right. crucial because with young people coming through who don't have the resilience to, to cope with things, that is absolutely mission critical for the future of New Zealand, getting that right.
15 to 5 for you are on the panel. As always, nice to have your company this afternoon. Uh, you can get in touch with us, 2101. You can email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. And by the way, if you can't listen uh, live, you can listen uh, on the RNZ app or on iHeart or on Apple and on Spotify. Well, a new Hatohone St John ambulance is joining a squadron of seven complex patient ambulance vehicles or CPVACs or no, CPAVs. I think that's how you say it. Anyway, these vehicles are equipped to handle many different needs and most notably can transport patients that weigh up to 400 kilograms. The cost, around $300,000. These days, one in three New Zealanders over 15 can be classified as obese. So should we expect to see more of these coming in? With us is Hatohone St. John, General Manager of Ambulance Operations, Deborah Larson. Deborah, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Good afternoon. It sounds like quite a high-tech piece of kit, doesn't it, here? Can you describe how these vehicles do differ from uh, your regular ambulances we are used to seeing? Yeah, sure. I mean, these vehicles differ from what a standard ambulance looks like in terms of the inside of it. We've got extra room um, in in the ambulance. They contain special equipment that, as you said, enable patients to be moved Um, which the stretcher can cater for patients up to 400 kgs. The vehicles contain what we call an inflatable jack system, so that can lift patients from the floor to the stretcher. Then once we've got them lifted, we can use air technology to transfer them um, onto our stretchers. And the air transfer system actually can reduce the, the manual effort or the lift effort um, to shift a patient by up to 90%. That's amazing. Yeah, beneficial for both the patient and our teams who are out there caring for patients. That is just amazing, isn't Anadine? An air transfer system using technology to uh, deal with uh, quite an issue at the moment. Correct. Yeah. yeah oh, let's bring Anna in. She's a panelist here, Anadine. Um, yeah, it's 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 incredible that that technology is being rolled out around the country, and um, it must be. Very expensive. Where, do, where does the funding for, for these come from? Because I know the St John's is always looking for, for more donations from people. <laughs> yeah, so much of the funding comes from our generous donors. Um, we've actually had some uh, grassroots trust who've kindly donated into, the, uh, into Auckland for some of the vehicles. We're always looking to boost our emergency fleet or our complex fleet. Um, so we're immensely grateful for our supporters who help fund um, the equipment I've just talked about. Mm. Uh, so, how many? Um, how many? Sorry, how much would one of these ambulances cost? They cost around three hundred thousand um, oh, wow. dollars to be designed and assembled. Okay, are they made onshore or offshore? They're assembled. Well, they're, they're made in Hamilton, actually. So, oh, good to hear. Yeah, that is that is good to hear. It's uh, nonetheless, uh, it's an expensive piece of. Um, well, it's, it's huge cost, isn't it? 300k, Deborah. Uh, and particularly, I guess, the issue being we'll be possibly needing a lot more of these types of ambulances in the future. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of our commitment at Hete Horni is around health equity, making sure that we can meet the needs of all New Zealanders. Um, that's why um, we position the vehicles in places where they can be utilised out in the districts. 
Mm. Hope uh, over time, how many would you be wanting to get these uh, ambulances that can transport patients weighing up to 400 kgs? Well, currently we've got eight, sorry, we're looking at a ninth one coming in. Um, once, I would say probably over the next couple of years, we may be looking at another one or two. Um, it's difficult to say at this stage. And where's, where's the greatest demand for their, their use? Currently it's in Auckland, um, followed by Waikato. Very good, Deborah. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's uh, Deborah Larson there, uh, Hato Hones and John, General Manager of Ambulance Operations. I've, I was always wondering um, because my my mum Anna uh, worked, you know, for a while in a retirement home and would often come back, you know, uh, late at night, going, "Oh my gosh, you know, my back. It's just so extraordinarily sore, you know, because lifting people all night." Mm. Uh, and you take two and you have strategies and skills to deal with it, Anna. But, um, you know, fast forward 30 years and the issue of people getting heavier uh, through obesity, it, uh, it must be quite a big thing for hospital and care staff anyway, right? Absolutely. I've seen some really interesting videos recently of, of products that are becoming available for people mm. to lift lift people in the home as well. Right. So it seems a hydraulic kind of... Yeah, and industry is actually really, really growing to be able to, you know, take that pressure off usually women who end up in those caring mm. roles. I'd be very interested to hear if you do, if you are in that type of role, uh, how does it affect you? I don't know if anyone, if anyone's been to hospital recently as a patient, but actually the technology in a hospital bed these days compared oh. to what it was 30 years ago is actually fantastic. Okay. So the beds can do so much more than they could before. They go up and down and around and they make it a lot easier in some ways for, um, for that would help, medical eh? staff. But I think, to, to your point, I think technology and things like air may play a huge role mm. in the future. And interested to hear that, uh, Wellington, uh, Hamilton Design. Hey? Love it. Uh, someone says, school counsellors helped me stay at school and so many others at my school. They need better support. The panel, RNZ National, with us, Mark North Thomas and Anna Dean, this Monday afternoon. Finally on the show, many of you, I'm sure, have felt the anguish of a beanbag bursting on you, leaving those horrible polystyrene beads everywhere for you to collect for years to come. Imagine if that bag had burst on the beach, where there's much more than your afternoon to be disturbed. That's what happened at uh, Motorua Island in the Bay of Islands just last summer. And the incident wound up sparking a lengthy, costly clean-up effort. Northern Regional Council are now reminding people that beanbags or anything else containing polystyrene not welcome at beaches. To explain with us is Marty. Uh, well, no, he's not there right now. We've got a bit of a uh, sound problem, so we're going to try and get Marty Robinson up. Can I just come to some uh, feedback while we're waiting for Marty? This is Ken from Bannockburn. Wallace, I had a shocker with a seat recliner from hell recently between Singapore and Rome. The person in front of me was travelling with her kids, so had meal service before the rest of us. After she had eaten, she reclined the seat, so my tray was hard to access when it was time for my meal. The attendant politely asked the woman to sit forward and put the seat forward. The woman started shouting and forcefully slammed the seat back. What did I do? 
nothing. Although her husband might have had his neat pile of belongings and headrest rearranged occasionally during the rest of the 12-hour <laughs> flight, and they might have struggled to find their carry-on bags onto some barking. <laughs> I just don't know why people get so oh. upset on planes. I mean, that, that woman obviously should have put her seat up, but um, some, have you seen some of those videos of, of passengers flicking their long hair over the back of the seat covering the screen? That's my... I couldn't do it. I think the rules of fruit trees over fences apply. So if it's over my side, it's mine. You can cut it off. <laughs> All right. Now joining us, uh, we have North and Regional Councillor Marty Robinson. Marty, hello. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Hey, kia ora, Marty. Now, uh, we talked about this uh, earlier before we tried to get to you here, the, this, this notion of the beanbag bursting on it, and I suddenly had a big uh, image in my mind of these tiny little beans beads going absolutely everywhere. And on a beach, I bet they do, Marty. You're right, Wallace. Um, bean bags and polystyrene beans are uh, plastic on on steroids. Uh, mm. It took 20 hours for staff to um, clean up as much as they could, and I'm sure they didn't get it all of these beans, three beans ribbon around the uh, around the motu there, around Motoroa. Yeah. Um, well, so, I, so well, I've been petitioning my wonderful wife, because I'm a beanbag lover, uh, to get a beanbag, and she's absolutely saying no in our household, and probably because of this. So I've kind of changed my tune on this. Are, are they quite an issue? I mean, do people try and bring their beanbags to the beach and this happens? Oh, I don't know how much of an issue it is, how many, how many do, mm. but uh, really natural materials are far better. Um, we know the old canvas uh, is... Uh, not going to deteriorate or take millennia to deteriorate like polystyrene or plastics. So, you know, I couldn't be able to quantify how much actually comes in, but it's when it's... um when it hits the beach, you really know it. Oh, you can just imagine, can't you, Anna? You know, the the, 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 the outer bursting all of a sudden, you've got a handful of beads and they just get, the the, 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 the hole gets bigger and bigger and the next one you've got a drama on your hands, Anna Dean. Yeah, oh, and yes. we know, oh, we know how devastating oh. it can be for, for um, birds and fish and uh, marine life. Absolutely, Marty. We're, because Anna's on Zoom here, we're trying to get her in as well. Anna, what what do you have to say on this? Well, it's really interesting. Um, I know that the beanbags have actually been banned from Splore, the music festival. So people are definitely the same issue. Yeah, mm. they're, yeah, definitely aware of this because you can imagine for wildlife just how um, you know attractive mm. uh, these little white dots would seem, and surely that's going to kill so much bird life and and sea creatures. There's so many microplastics in our environment and even in our bodies these days. Um, yeah, it seems like a great idea to, to ban them, and we should definitely not be wandering around with them outside by the sounds of things. Okay, so I had no idea that beanbags were banned at Splore. Uh, Mark? Just enjoying that beanbags banned on beaches is the most beautiful alliteration. But no, 100% fully agree. Beanbags <laughs> don't bean bags don't belong on beaches uh, because of the very issues that happen. They can get ripped, they can fall apart, dogs can attack them, they can bite them, whatever, and that has happened to me in the past. Has it? So I think you just need to... I mean, polystyrene probably shouldn't be at a beach anyway. I know the body boogie boards, etc. have them, but... Is anybody is anybody out there looking at an alternative to polystyrene beads for beanbags? That's a question. Well, Sally, my producer, actually emailed me. You've got eco beads. More on that maybe later in the show. So just a reminder then for Marty, for people listening to the panel uh, in Northland, what to do and what not to do for them. 
Well, I would say take photos to the beach and leave footprints only, and take all the everything, but everything away that they bring to the beach. Even take more, actually. Take a rubbish bag with you and take some home stuff with some stuff home. <laughs> with you. Can I can I just do a bit of a further plug, Wallace, if yeah. I may, on um, taking care of any boats, any uh, fishing gear, any uh, chains or whatever that you're very careful moving between waterways as well, because we've got this invasive calupa seaweed that's come in, and also the potential of mm. uh, invasive golden clam coming up from the Waikato River. Uh, so. Really please, when you come and enjoy the beaches in Northland, make sure your boat or your waka or your you. canoe or your fishing gear, everything is clean. Oh, kia ora, Marty. Great advice there. That's Northland Regional Councillor Marty Robinson. A fantastic show to team. Anna Dean, Mark Knopf-Thomas, thanks for being with me. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thank you to Sally, to Sam, Lisa Owen, and Checkpoint is next.